scores below. Some of our language is coming at you with irresistible force. If you don't think you can pass your strength test, then best back off now. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Dwellers Below. This is episode 56, as yet to be named, but today we're going to be focusing on the new Age of Sigma edition. Uh, some housekeeping first up. Mr. Cousins has an apology to the world for some things he said the other day. <laughs> uh, look, I'm, I'm happy to take the blame on behalf of uh, the podcast, whether or not I said it myself. Uh, at The Dwellers Below, we acknowledge that none of our jokes have ever been funny, nor will they ever be. Ain't that the but truth. In the last episode, some of those were not only unfunny, but were also offensive and problematic in ways that we're not proud of. And we apologise for that and we'll endeavour to do better. Uh, we deserve the criticism we've got as a result and we'll you know, uh, not take that on board so much as try to learn from it. And on a totally unrelated note, Nick Gentili is sitting a one podcast touchline ban and is not with us tonight. So guys, new edition. Hype or, or no hype? Hype for the artistry at least. I mean... The drawings are fucking hot. I, I haven't seen many of these yet because they're all in like plastic wrapped books. But tell tell us more. We well we should probably <laughs> say who's actually on the podcast <laughs> before we start going into some weird rant. All right, so so Dave, what is your favourite art from the new edition? My favourite art from the new edition is the guy who is representing humans from Chamon, the realm of metal, who looks like he's both an Egyptian god and about to come. I'm really into him. That's, right. that's amazing. Who, who, who else have we got? Sound off with some favourite art from the new books. Awesome. I got to say the uh, the the old burning head is not only great name for an STD, but that art in the uh, malign sorcery book has got me excited. Are those the sultry tones of old man Moran in the corner there? Amen, man. Fifty six. I remember when I was fifty six. <laughs> Yesterday, <laughs> just one or two hundred years ago. Eggledy Peggledy, you're in the house as well? I am. Uh, my favourite artwork from the new edition is... Uh, th- there's actually quite a lot of pages that I like equally. They're all the ones with the rules and no pictures. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't a Kraken picture anywhere in any of these books? I don't know, but it would crack me up if it did. Hey! Like I said, none of our jokes are funny. So I'm the father of lies. I'm making a terrible attempt at hosting my first podcast. Uh, kind of wishing Jabe was here. But uh, we've also got a special guest today, Mr. Smorgan. Yeah, baby. Hello, hello. What have you been doing, Smorgan? Well, I'm trying to decipher what the rules are to play matched play Age of Sigma. I've got five books in front of me here, and I'm not entirely clear where to start or sort of uh, wrap that up. There's, there's a lot of literature and, and not a great deal of rules pages for these, you know, this new edition. You shady motherfuckers. Can I just say that this is the best thing about the new rules book is that it actually is not mostly a rule book. It's just kind of like a geography of the Age of Sigma. The best thing about the rules is that there are no rules? Yeah, absolutely. Games Workshop, have you read their rules? Come on now. This is a standout benefit of them. (laughs) It actually gives you a sense of the world and where you're playing compared to the first edition, which was like, the Age of Myth, things happened, it was dark. The but, end. But I kind of feel like this is where they had to go, given that the last time when we first got Age of Sigmar, when that all happened, it was like, and there are these pockets of reality across the world, and but we didn't actually know it was quite in them. 
this book actually tells us what the realms are about. For the first time ever, and I've been digging around, I actually feel like I know what the realm of Sigmar, sorry, the, the, the Age of Sigmar universe is all about. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously I took like three years off, so I don't know what's been there. I'll defer to your like knowledge as to whether there wasn't stuff like this before. Um, but yeah, like, it definitely is a good direction to go in in terms of rebuilding a world or like building a world from the ground up. Well, there was, and they built it up over time, but this should have been like this overview that we get in the new, the core rule book. Um, these hundreds of pages should have been there from day dot. So you should have had this world. You're saying that destroying 8th edition and like Old Warhammer shouldn't have been just like a flash in the pan off the cuff decision. They should have prepped it. So I think immersive word world building takes time. And what we've got here is a product that's taken three or four years to sort of crystallize. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have had a look, but the Malign Portent has been going for the last couple of months and they've been yeah. releasing snippets here and there. And they've really been able to build momentum and a narrative through that process. Can I also say on that point, um, AOS Shorts on Twitter had pointed us to two fantastic videos that actually explain what the realms are because I'd had some shady comments in our last episode about the fact that I don't understand how the realms work at all and Phil Kelly... Uh, it definitely does actually provide a great deal of detail on that topic. Yeah, I did see those. I'm my my good friend AOS Shorts, who I totally did unjustifiably, you know, slander on our last episode. But um, yeah, I, like I agree with Sam. It's it's stuff that builds, and and we've seen different companies with different games kind of try and do the fluff from from the get go from point zero, and and it doesn't really work. You can't just have amazing fluff right. with no no background and. Yeah, the, the fluff towards the start of Age of Sigma was, was, was not there, but I think it's, it builds and builds and builds and, and we're getting to that point where, where we're getting that depth because you can't just have that depth from, from zero. You can't. And for us, it was hard because we were so invested in the old world. I know Dave took it personally and poor man was weeping, you know, tears of... He moved to Queensland to get away from the disappointment of... And the shame. It's great that I'm holding his microphone. <laughs> By the way, you'll notice that Dave and I don't talk at the same time tonight. It's it's either I'm Nancy Reagan and he's Ron or vice versa. But one of us is doing the other one's voice. Yeah, we there's none of both of us talking at the same time. But also, you know, viva France and freedom. <laughs> bring it on, my friends. Not, not enough sorries for a, a true Canadian impersonation, I don't think. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I was a boot to get to it. So can we take a moment to, to sort of talk about humans in the mortal realms? Because mm. that for me is one of the significant um, sort of advances in the fluff and certainly in the artwork. I'm looking at the, I think it's the realm of death and this guy is just sick in the core rule book. Um, that whole session is, is amazing in actually giving you a, an idea of what human life looks like across. They do all the mortal realms for humans except for beasts, shadow and, and light which is great because again, I don't know what your perception was, Sam, but I had no idea were there actual human like, civilizations in these realms, what do they look like, and we've actually got a pretty good idea now. And I mean, they've still got room to go because I'm really interested in what their agriculture system is or what their political the and political economic economy? systems are. Yeah, what's the those those economy? things really matter to me. So hopefully they start to flesh that out. I'm um, a bit worried that there's going to be too much like bartering and trading in some of these societies and not enough hard currency moving around. Because that makes it really hard to invest in some of the like overarching narratives of like the, the ebbing and flowing of economics that really informs battle. Also, are they city-states? I mean, are these confederacies? What's the actual political institutions that are underpinning order? I mean, otherwise we have anarchy. Come on now. 
Come on. I mean, I'm all for anarchy, but, uh, you know, it needs to be at least anarchy in a kind of clearly defined fashion, not the sort of you know, slapdash, you know, the Stormcast do what they want kind of anarchy that we've had in the past. We we have been doing this podcast for like four or five years and I've never felt as, you know, thankful for Jabe as I have right now <laughs> trying to keep you motherfuckers on topic and Gentilly's not even here. Yeah, thank your blessings that he's not. Think how bad this could go. This is on you, by the way. You're the one in charge. Total fucking train wreck. All right, so what was the topic that we were supposed to be talking about? All right, we're talking we're talking edition changes. We've all been there. You know, we've not so much on the Age of Sigma side, but no one has because this is the first Age of Sigma new edition. But we've got a bit of experience. We've we've transitioned through the editions on a few different games. You know, multiple times. So we want to talk about you know what. What have we done in the past? What's worked? What hasn't? What do we focus on? Do we just, you know, do we have to make massive changes to the rules straight away or do we, you know, give them a try? You know, what's what's the way to do it? Can we start off by going through what edition changes people have actually experienced? Like what is your experience with changing editions? Let's end with Brad. <laughs> okay. So I played a lot of Heroes of Might of Magic. Um, I'm still pretty hooked on Heroes of Might of Magic 3. I'd say that's probably been my game where I've had the, the most <laughs> significant addition changes um, and, and typically what I found is there's always this teething um, teething period where at the start of a new game being released oh, maybe dabble in a bit of the old game just for a little while. There's mm-hmm. this sort of transition period. It's a bit of a Venn diagram. It's sort of like when you're going from one girlfriend to another. Maybe you're seeing both of them for just a little while there. Um, <laughs> what? That is not a universal experience of how no. dating works. This is purely Sam's take on things. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so basically what would typically happen with me is I'd still be playing, say, Heroes 2 for a little while just after the release of Heroes 3 but eventually you rip the Band-Aid off and you go go full bore. And I think that's what we're going to see with Age of Sigma as well. Um, some people sort of um, holding on to some of the, the norms, I suppose, from AOS 1. Mm. Sam, what's your take on considering a, a, like a third game or third girlfriend while, while still sort of hopping from one bed to another, so to speak? Kings of War is a really great game. It's balanced. <laughs> Wow. It allows you to play ranks and flanks. So, I mean, it's got some benefits, but it's probably just a weekend game. Okay, so, yeah, for me... Like I've going back to kind of our history in, in, in edition changes, I started playing Warhammer in, in sixth edition. So we've had the sixth to seventh, uh, more sort of importantly, the seventh to eighth uh, change, which was a major, major edition change. Uh, everything kind of, you know, it was totally new, it was a totally different game. That's um, actually probably a good, uh, I guess, comparison to reflect on for people who have been with the podcast or with the games for that long. Uh, from what I've seen, it feels like the change here from Age of Sigma 1 to 2 is more like 6 to 7th than 7th to 8th. Whilst there are some change, you know, some changes and tweaks to the fundamental rules, most of it stays the same and then it's the bells and whistles around it that seem to be where a lot of the moving and shaking is happening. Yeah, it is more of an iterative change, isn't it? On that point, I think me and Brad both actually experienced 5th to 6th which is also at the same time as as 40K, second to third. And that was like a totally fundamental rewriting of the rules. Like the statistics, like what statistics there were for units changed, the whole game changed, the whole scale changed. So, I mean, that I think is actually something that we almost, seventh to eighth was huge, but fifth, to six was almost a different game, really. Yeah, and, and just from a 40K standpoint, going from second to third, I mean, there are people who still proudly play Warhammer 40,000 second edition because they refuse to make that transition. And 
That's great and all. And I mean, there are those people and I'm not disparaging anyone um, because I know people that play this game and love it. But the ninth age continuing on with what is essentially eighth edition. Someone's making a face. (laughs) Just let it go, man. I mean, it's like I I know that this isn't a bolt action podcast, but let me say that. We all know that. Let me finish. You should set up a podcast network to talk about bolt action. I did that. Woo-hoo. Then maybe he would have Cast a release out. and not talk about Bolt Action podcasting it's, it's on the non-Bolt Action podcast that C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. is The Doors Bolt. C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. No, seriously, the, if you look at the jump between uh, 7th and 8th edition fantasy, there were all sorts of people who were saying that you need to port rules over. You, ne- you cannot use the 8th edition rules as written because they don't work. Bullshit. They worked. And they worked well, and we loved them, and we played them, and it was great. And there's a bunch of people when, you know, certain games, bolt action going from one to two is another example, where people are like, oh, we can't use that rule, or we need to change the rules because you can't use them the way they are. Of course you can. It's a matter of mitigating change and changing, as Sam said, tear off that Band-Aid, man. Get in there. I have changed, what, five editions of 40K, at least that of... Maybe four of fantasy. I've played a crap load of editions of workshop games. And they change. And some are better than others. And I leave some behind. And some I come back to. And I feel like the first edition of Age of Sigmar didn't have enough to hold me. I feel like this does. And I kind of feel like, you know, we just need to give this a try. Yeah, so... I think we're, we're not talking about a 7th to 8th style change or a 2nd ed to 3rd ed 40k style change. It sounds like we're talking more of your, for those who were playing at the time, a 6th ed to 7th ed style. We've got our core rules. We're not changing them. You know, we're not totally throwing them out. We're just, we're updating them. We're, we're advancing them. We're deepening it a little bit. We're just tweaking things here and there. Does that, does that sound about right? This is a software patch. This is 1.5 more than it's 2.0. 2.0 was a different game. Um, you know, the way that they've made these changes is from, from my sort of read anyway, is they've identified some of the areas that needed to be improved, some of the problems that needed to be fixed. They've resolved those, but they've broadly left the rest untouched, which I think is good because the game was getting to a pretty stable sort of place towards the end of first. So do we want to talk about what some of those changes are and how we're responding to those in terms of like army design or hobby that we're doing or like what impact we think that's having on like the stuff that we're actually doing at the moment but by we we mean sam so i write maybe 10 to 15 lists a day typically they're in meetings it's, it's fantastic um shout out to war scroll builder so games workshop have designed an absolutely um or rather they've hosted because i think it was independently designed yep. and then they partnered with the community which is really cool um this terrific um sort of army building um, this this terrific sort of army building system. So um, basically at the moment I'm in there all day trying to figure out what you can squeeze in to, to maximise your command points and your endless spells and all of those sorts of things. Is it free or is it one of those things you have to pay a couple dollars for? No, no, it's completely free. So interestingly enough, they've designed a, um, a pay-per-month version yeah. um, which is called Azir through the app. From my perspective, Azir is an inferior product. So basically really? this is one of those situations where um, the market had something that was better than what they were able to offer and um, they've ended up running both, which is great. Nice, fantastic. And so with this, that it's completely up to date with uh, second edition? It's more up to date than War Scroll Builder. So, oh, wonderful! Uh, more up to date than the app, I should say. So, um, basically, the app's got a number of glitches at the moment. Yeah, um, I heard that. 
some of which are maybe more frustrating than others, such as at the moment there's a bit of a contrast issue, so I can't read it. So that's a bit <laughs> disappointing. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the the website version is is 100% up to date. Brilliant. Is, yeah, I'm so itching for the night haunt stuff. I'm so keen on the night haunt. I've got the got the minis from the starter set, and I just want to write list. And I actually like I know the points because the points are in the general's handbook, and enough of the 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 war scrolls have been spoiled that I know what everything does. But I want that all to be on War Scroll Builder so I can just write the list really easily and just write heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of lists. Yeah. So, you know, at the time of, of, um, of recording this, I think the, the Nighthorn book goes out tomorrow. So by the time you listen to this, it'll be out and all the stuff I'm talking about now is totally irrelevant. But that's always been the case with you though, Nick. Always. Can I, I mean, this is a totally bullshit fanboy side note that how good GW's online support has become over the last three years that I haven't been playing the game. Like when you look at how well they've invested in giving fluff resources in terms of videos and written content, in terms of the the scroll builder, the app online is really just stuff that I feel like when we were playing a fantasy battle in our prime would have given our first son for. It's really has paid off in a ridiculous way even down to the the responsiveness of the the faqs and the rules team to to community questions and feedback i know in in past editions we would have to wait you know months to get uh, the first set of faqs on a on a new edition that that where there were some serious questions that needed to be answered on on fundamental rule stuff particularly your sort of seventh eighth transition but even your sixth to seventh you know we had you know big questions that didn't get answered for a long time and, and the attitude to to FAQs from workshop was basically we don't give a fuck, and um, <laughs> you, I thought you'd be proud of that. But no, anyway, um, disappointed. So <laughs> now we have like there's WhatsApp groups where everyone's discussing all this stuff, and and people like Ben Johnson who are massively involved in the de- development of Age of Sigma are in those WhatsApp groups, so listening listening to-, to customer feedback and taking FAQ questions and updating it. We've you know we had launch day FAQs and there were. You know, they, they, they put up the, the new the new Age of Sigma app with all the, the war scrolls in it and that had some issues in it, but they've already patched that once like, and it's been out for a week. So as a consumer, what I dislike is uncertainty. I dislike not knowing if they're going to address an issue or not knowing if there's going to be an FAQ. One of the things they've also done is they've introduced a level of rigor where you can actually see plotted out when the FAQs will be released. So you have a sense of, shit, this is an issue, but it's only going to be an issue for six to eight weeks because I know the next FAQ is due whenever it's coming out, which I think is also a massive improvement from the past where the FAQs are really sporadic and sometimes they'd hit just before a tournament that you've been planning for for six months. You'd be like, okay, fuck, my build's no longer any good. And that was that was frustrating. But they, they used to also take the attitude that clarifying rules and things didn't really matter because playing the game and caring about what the rules said specifically was not really in the spirit of Games Workshop games. And they've definitely done an about-face on that. Uh, they... You know, like they're supporting and recognizing the idea that having a coherent set of rules that people can understand actually leads to people having more fun playing the game. And surprise, surprise, they're right about that. Exactly. And they're going to a lot of the big events. Um, when 8th edition 40K dropped, they started going to all the big events and looking at what lists were curb stonking, you know, curb stomping everyone else, finding what worked, finding it what worked maybe too well, what was too efficient, and then doing the rules or changing their point costs 
So I'm curious to see how that will work with Age of Sigmar. I know we have the General's Handbook, and so it's a more stable point value system than perhaps 40K was when it first dropped. But I feel like if there are things that are broken, if there are things that, you know, once it's the rules have been released upon the community, I think that if someone finds an obvious loophole and, you know, really takes advantage of it in a big event, Games Workshop's going to see it. And they're going to change the rules accordingly. And I find that as a consumer, as Sam is saying, I find that very means that I can play a game and it won't be busted as hell if I play it in a local event because they will fix the rules. You know, something that we haven't talked about at all in terms of Age of Sigma is comp. Like, I don't know if people have been remembering the shit that we used to have to go through. Oh, yeah. But talking about like how you make people build fair armies and how you judge what counts as a fair army, that took so much of our fucking time. Yeah. And really, so, Chris, you, you sound like a person who hasn't played in an Age of Sigma tournament yet. Oh, people still doing that? People take obnoxious lists Ex- now. No, but it's a massive paradigm shift yeah. where the expectation is now take the filthiest thing you can as opposed to take the thing that's going to be balanced and enjoyable for both you and your yeah, opponent. Because so Nick and I had a bit of a um, baptism of fire recently at an event where we looked at our list and said, fuck, we're on the back foot here. They, these guys have taken things that are obnoxiously strong um, and in particular is one that I think sort of was just not fun. Functionally not fun. Yeah, I was using my, my kind of ported 8th edition list and just looking at, you know, the stuff across the table in, in basically all of the games I played and just kind of thinking, um, I don't know how I can deal with this. And that's why I like Age of Sigma because it's a, a very objective-based game and they've kept they've kept that with the new General's Handbook. They've got new new um, scenarios and missions. Uh, some of them are really cool. They, they kind of focus on different parts of your army so you're going to be flexible. But, yeah, it, like straight you know, quality on the tabletop in a, in a straight up fight, the stuff I was taking a few weeks ago. And I think I mentioned this on the last episode, just wasn't there quality wise, but you know, if you play to the missions and play the objectives, it works really well. So I think that's what people need to focus on in, in the new edition is we have all these, these new things summoning, we have, you know, new rules, you know, changes to everything, changes to points, you know, lots of kind of the new hotness, focus on the fact that at the end of the day, the rules for the units might be changing, but the objectives are still the way to win the game. Now, was that more of a local meta thing or is that a sort of a game wide? Do you think that that's sort of universal? I think it's universal. Like tournaments used to just be victory points. It used to be, you had your 20 to nil system, whoever won the most victory points basically won. And you'd see this occasional tournament where to win a major win, you had to win the, the objective normally just worth 150 victory points or something like that. But nowadays, you know, the primary win condition is do you have the objective? Yeah. Well, I mean, if we look back, I mean, Nick and I, you you and I played some X-Wing for a little while. We played a couple other games. And a lot of those are there aren't missions. Well, there are, but they're not played in events. You set up across the board, and it's like the old 7th edition pitch battle. You, you always built and tuned your army to one mission, and you always played the same damn thing over and over and over and over again. Now we have a slew of missions that encourage... You know, maybe not a, a super wide variety, but at least, uh, you know, some variety in army build. Um, so you kind of need to factor in a few different unit choices in your army. So that does encourage more than one build. I know that, you know, there is the taking the hardest list you can while still meeting those criteria. But that does sort of force you to take some consideration when list building, right? Am I, t- I mean, you guys have been playing more than me. 
Yeah, so I mean, when I'm list building, I sort of privilege both speed and utility. So taking units that can get somewhere quickly so they can go and claim or challenge an objective, but also that they can do multiple things, whether that's shooting, um, whether that's acting as a tar pit, whether that's alpha striking, whatever it might be. And I think it's interesting because quite often people are constrained because they use the War Scroll Battalions to design their lists around. Mm-hmm. Um, so they actually lose out on quite a bit of utility. And something Nick and I have been discussing is that while summoning appears to be great, it's like what are you losing in order to be able to summon? So what are the trade-offs? I don't think that's necessarily something that people are considering when they're designing their lists, which is not to say that summoning won't be bent and they'll probably FAQ it in three weeks. But, you know, there there are other considerations you need to go through and having sort of 20-plus missions, if those are randomly drawn on the day, you really need to build a versatile list. If you know them in advance, maybe you can tailor. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think anything that that privileges sort of versatility um, and what you might call balance lists in inverted commas is, is probably a good thing for the game. I, I think the inverted commas there around balance are really important because what, what I assume that you see over the course of, you know, like I guess a general's handbook cycle is that people will work out more and more what the best kind of lists are that have that vers- you know have enough versatility but are still like the strongest at doing that. And so you'll probably see that things get optimized and narrowed down over the cycle of uh, you know a year of the game. But unlike in uh, past editions of Games Workshop games, we're not relying on a new army book to shake up what things are actually good. If something is really obnoxious, not fun and too strong, like a Plague Touch Warband, if, if that was the case, I never played against it, um, you know, a new General's Handbook comes out the next year and you don't have to deal with it anymore. Uh, so there's a lot more scope in the model that they have set up at the moment for... I guess ironing out some of those wrinkles as they appear, uh, even though everyone's trying to do like you know build the best army that they can, take the filth, do whatever. But what is the filth is going to change more frequently than it has in the past, and that's I, I, that can only keep things more fresh for people playing. Yeah, and what, what Chris has just said has kind of reminded me of, uh, and Chris, this you'll be able to relate to this is is Magic the Gathering. Every every kind of quarter they release a new format and. The format it kind of it changes what what's good and and you get to the point where everyone is trying to solve the format they're trying to solve the game they're trying to figure out what is the best deck or or unit or your card to take you know and we're we're kind of in that stage now I think where you want to you want to figure out what's the best and and everyone's going to have a different idea as to as to what's the best because what used to be the best doesn't really work anymore you know the change the Zench change host which was such a crazy crazy list. Those 2,000-point lists are now 2,600 points or something silly. You know, you just can't use the same same list. Summoning is going to change everything. We don't – you know, we had this discussion off-cast, which is a little bit criminal. We probably should have saved it. But we were talking about what, what summoning is the most effective, how is it going to change the meta, all that kind of stuff. And it all kind of remains to be seen at that stage, at this stage. No one's really – because we haven't got any tournament results to look at. We don't know what a solved format's going to look like, and I don't think we will for some time. I say this is a total new, but I think that there is this huge distinction here when you're talking about Magic the Gathering. And I think it's that the social contract for Magic players is different with Wizards of the Coast from Games Workshop and their players, right? Where Wizards of the Coast and... It, is it Wizards for Magic? Yeah, 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 yeah. The expectation is that your deck is going to be invalid in six months. And, and you play the game knowing that the thing that you've invested in is not going to be the thing in a short period of time. Whereas... The Games Workshop hobby really actually emphasizes a bunch of stuff about long-term investment that you're assembling, you're painting, you're investing in the story. And that 
disruption of the meta works, I think, fantastically for a collectible card game like Magic and for for competitive computer games like many MOBAs, you know, League of Legends and stuff. I think it's uncom- an uncomfortable fit with a miniature game where you've spent that much time and money on the models. Are, are we talking about it literally being like your scene charming is no longer valid though or does it just mean like it's not as strong as it was or that you're going to need to change it to some extent? Ideally, what we're talking about is 1,500 points, 1,200 points, a core of your army remains playable, but you have to turn over, say, a third to a quarter. That would be a good business model for Games Workshop. (laughs) They could get you spending 300 on an army that you already have and you're already invested in. I think that's that's a really good model for them and I think it's a fair and equitable model for the players like I was saying to Chris before I, I purchased an army off him I then subsequently sold it for more than he he sold it to me for so I made a profit but I played over 100 games with that army and I, I feel like that was an absolute investment um, as as opposed to a purchase so to, to Dave's point if they were changing the meta quarterly I think that would be problematic but I'd say changing it every 12 months and realistically changing a third to a quarter of your army is, is, is maybe more palatable. And I, the, the point Dave makes is really good and I think that's why they don't change the format as often as they, they do in other games. And it's it's kind of why when we have big changes of the format like we did with you know 7th, 8th or even more, the whole 8th edition 2 Age of Sigma format change, which was a massive format change, we saw a lot of angst, a lot of you know people just throwing their, their, their toys out a lot of you know a lot of disruption because the format did change so much and like you said it invalidated the things people had purchased and that's not an expectation people have when they when they purchase GW models and and I agree with that because the stuff I've got I always kind of expected to be able to use forever and and that that hasn't been true over the last couple of years with some of my models so I can see I can see why people you know in those major major changes have have kind of you know had that disruption but I don't think we've got that in this kind of change. It remains to be seen. Like until we've played some games, it's really difficult to say. When we're talking specifically about the Zench list though, um, been sort of pouring over that book and I think there are some filthy things you can still do using that same core from your previous army. So it may not be under the change host sort of name, um, but it'll have a lot of common elements. Isn't it ironic that Seench now has to change? (laughs) I like what you did there, Christopher. I like that. I've got more of these. Just wait. I'm not on board with this nonsense. I feel like there hasn't been enough silliness tonight. I feel like it's been very serious. Everyone listening to one another and taking their turns. I blame Nick for controlling the flow of this thing so well. There's not enough room for spontaneity anymore. That's definitely not a thing that's happening. I think it's just that Nick's not here. The too, other much Nick. Of, too much efficiency. The Germans are here. The Germans. But they're not in the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> Savage. Neither will England for very long. So Yeah, that's right. We still at it's, least get to play it, one more. It's definitely not coming home for those people who live over in the islands. So on that note, look. We on, on the on, note of sport. <laughs> on the World Cup. Talk Please. some shit. <laughs> Leather. I'm inflated. not engaging with that rubbish. <laughs> Should we take a bit of a break? Thing? We've got a bunch of listeners who have been asking us, some important questions, some irrelevant questions, and some questions that make me, frankly, sick with humanity. Should we take a little break and then engage with what the fuck's up and wrong with Kakwa? <laughs> <laughs> I think we could do a whole episode on what's wrong with Kakwa. Long but yeah, list, yeah. That's, that's some excellent, excellent hosting, Dave. I think we'll cut to a break.
And we are back. So we're going to be covering some listener questions in this segment. Um, really great feedback. You know, I just put up a, a little tweet saying, look, we're going to be recording and we want some some questions. And we had a lot of questions, some better than others, some more sane than others. Which is disappointing, some, really. There's some degenerates that listen to this. I yeah, mean, well, where are the degenerates? Way too many actual on-topic questions here. Yeah, we need we need more weird stuff. Surprisingly few Nicolas Cage-related questions, although there were a few. That's there, a, there were some face-off questions from Kakwa that aren't about Nicolas Cage, but they're not far off. Maybe this is like a, there's some of a, like a new audience who don't understand some of the old in-jokes anymore. I, I so refuse really to believe that new people started listening to this I'd podcast. I'd say persist I mean, with the old jokes. They can catch up. Particularly Even though they're not available yeah. as episodes. <laughs> and, and particularly based on the, the quality of the last episode we did and probably the first segment of this one. So if I could just stick on topic and talk about Face Off some more. The, this, um, is, this is not the I was listening to another podcast today, which is probably my favourite podcast at the moment, the Pro Painted Podcast. Their current episode title is Face Off and they go into some degenerate shit about where you can order things for taxidermy. That's bizarre. It is a good podcast, though. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the uh, the Propainted podcast. They they talk about hobby, and it's it's kind of a podcast that that isn't offered on the market. I feel like you haven't offended them in that plug, though, Nick. They can't paint for shit, <laughs> and I, and I hate them. <laughs> don't listen to the Propainted podcast sponsored by. I don't even know who they're sponsored by. I don't listen to them. But whoever the sponsor is, they should probably you know sponsor us instead, right? Yeah, abandon them. They they have no legitimate content whatsoever. Are we happy? <laughs> have I offended people now? <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Actually, speaking of shit podcasts, Cast Dice is one of the worst on the market. I feel C A S T. D-I-C-E. Tune in for the most recent episode with Chris Cousins on it. <laughs> Actually, not yet. Coming soon. Yeah. Looking that, that, forward to it. If you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. Warhammer. <laughs> <laughs> so, listener questions. Yeah, I was going to say, let's let's get back to vaguely being on topic. We did so well. 30 minutes of actually possibly relevant discussion about addition changes. And exactly. And now we have no listeners left. <laughs> <laughs> they left. All right, question number one. And I'm just kind of scrolling down through the Twitter feed, so it's probably whoever got in either first or last, depending on the order. Um, so James Harding at, at the Death Watch on Twitter, does the law section of the new rulebook give a good overview of the realms and what's going on in AOS? Do you feel like you have or are missing something if you have read or been involved since the start of AOS? I think we kind of covered this before, but Dave, you're the fluff guru, given you've played no games. <laughs> I no, it's pretty good actually. It does it does go into it? I mean, the Dan AOS Short Shorts does link to these fantastic videos by Phil Kelly. He goes into a lot of this detail. But basically, yeah, the rule book for the first time gives you a sense of why the geography is changing and complicated, and how the realms function, and and also a kind of basic understanding to Sam of the agricultural foundations of particular realms. I mean, you say the rule book this time, like the last edition didn't really have like a book with all of this kind of stuff in it. Whereas now we actually have like the infrastructure to do that. No, no, the last edition threw some play at the wall and called it fluff. This one actually has, I mean, look, it's, it's not everything. It's leaving some stuff open, which I think is good, but it does go into the fact like, why are our descriptions of geography fuzzy? Which is a, Good enough answer for me. I would definitely advise buying it. I have not played a game of Age of Sigma. I'm not 
sure that I'm going to commit to it and go through with it. Maybe this podcast is a waste of time. But the rule book is a good read. And I've read 200 pages of it. None of them have been rules, but they were good. So you bought the rule book purely based on the fluff? Yeah. I mean, it's not like we played Warhammer Fantasy because the rules were balanced and well thought out, right? Like Purple Sun, fuck off. That's, that's not a bad point. And speaking of Purple Suns, our second listener question. Hold on, hold on. Dave, you played Warhammer because you like to tiptoe around people, shoot their shit off the table, and make them cry. That's fluffy. I do that in real life too. What do you do for a day job? Yeah, let's not go into that. Nick Cohen. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about my day job either. Um, definitely tiptoeing around shooting people. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny Crass, a long-time listener, a favorite of the cast, I have to say. How many dice do I get to throw at the new Purple Sun? Two. Just two? Not six? You can't six dice Purple Sun? Two dice Purple Sun, 100 points, waste of time. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. I don't massively rate the new Endless Spells. Why is it a waste? Because I think that model's amazeballs, and I haven't actually, I, and I bought it. I haven't you put bu- it together. You buy everything. Literally yeah. everything. Yeah, but I want to put it on the table. It looks amazeballs. What's wrong with it? I so mean, I think situationally it'll be great. You'll um, you'll roll down someone's flank one game. You'll hit a heap of sixes. It'll make a good story, but but typically it won't do anything. So it's exactly like the old Purple Sun in that case. So are you going to put big googly eyes on it? Already have. <laughs> really? <laughs> for, the, for those who, yeah, there's been some amazing pictures floating around the internet of... Uh, of the new endless spells with just your googly eyes on them. Um, I think everyone should do that. I think that's basically the expectation of, of how these are going to be modeled on the tabletop. The gnashing teeth with the big googly eyes. Gnashing teeth is so cool. It's so good. Can we just convert them all into Muppets where like, you know, the gnashing teeth is cookie monster and you know, purple, <laughs> purple sun is Grover coming at you. This is getting better by the second. I think Greg Johnson actually already has those done. The hobby fan. He does have some, uh, some Muppet ogres. Uh, he could maybe make some, uh, some Muppet Endless Spells, although I suspect not given he's not a massive Age of Sigma or Games Workshop fan. Or Dwellers Below fan for that matter. No, he definitely, <laughs> definitely not. Probably in the majority there. All right, Matt Bennick Sam with our, our third question of the episode. When is a Moonstruck Dwellers tournament for Age of Sigma happening? Nick sang me Kissed by a Rose and then Stole My Heart by offering me one. 100% would go again. We're looking at you, Dave. <laughs> Given his last experience, I don't think Dave's going to be uh, TOing any events anytime soon. Never. It was a nightmare. <laughs> Running, it was terrible. When Nick Gentilly wants to actually run an event rather than attending one and claiming you ran it. I, I feel like we're slightly behind the eight ball here, having kind of not played much in the way of Age of Sigma for a while. That right. kind Running of? tournaments and things is probably a, a little way off for us yet. But uh, singing Kiss by a Rose and doing some karaoke is definitely something that I'm hard for. Like I, I've been told vicious rumors that there is not a lot of karaoke in the scene at the moment, and that is something that I cannot abide. There has not been a lot of karaoke in a lot of game systems, and it's one of the things I've really missed about fantasy in general is just the excellence of the quality of the karaoke. But, God, it, if... If only there were some good events, some good local events, some Australian GTs that we could go to in the meantime. And yes, I'm looking directly at you, Sam. Brad, are you trying to manufacture a shout out for someone that 
is probably going to be asked in a, a listener question later on in this segment. Yeah, this is this is the worst segue ever. This is like the segue, the guy who invented segways driving a segway off the cliff because that's how he actually died. Sam, so so this is from the guy who's like, I own a fucking podcast channel. I, I have seventeen podcasts. I spend all my copious amounts of time off my like teacher summer holidays. I'm a teacher. I work for about four podcasts. weeks a year, <laughs> and and yet you, that's still the best segue we can come up with. I, I, no, I think we just need to move on to the next C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. question. C A S T D I C E. Cast dice. All right. So are we seriously not going to talk about this? All right. So God damn it. Skipping ahead past all of the remaining Twitter questions into halfway down the Facebook questions, BW Holland, any dope as fuck GT is coming up? Sam? That's a great question, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) So there's two tournaments I want to give a a quick shout out to. Both of these tournaments I'm anticipating to be spicy and to have some excellent karaoke at the first one and some delicious Mongolian at the second. So the first tournament is in Melbourne. It's the Blue Dragon GT. It's on the 18th and 19th of August. Uh, This one's being held at Good Games Melbourne, which for anyone who hasn't checked that out is a terrific venue. Uh, Fantastic host there, run really professionally. They're more or less playing out of the book. Uh, They made a couple of minor tweaks just in terms of some of the the more obnoxious realm rules. Um, And they're just going to sort of, I suppose, run through that that whole teething process through the event. So that's a two-dayer on the 18th and 19th. I'll certainly be there um, applying a bit of pressure on these boys to come along as well. How many games? Uh, Five games. Five games? 2,000 points. But here's the kicker. We're talking about circa $2,000 in prizes. Now, that's, that's pretty handsome. So that's like $400 a game. No, you, you, you don't pay that much. <laughs> you, Are you Gentilly? If you went to the Realm School of Economics, you would flunk. I'm going. Uh, second event I'd like to give a quick shout out to, not in Melbourne, um, but this one will be a ripper and that's Moab uh, at the end of September. So I think Moab's up to about year 20. Um, there's obviously been some incidents there in the past. I don't know whether those are worth going into or not. Um, certain members of this podcast might have behaved reprehensibly. Um, Father of lies. I, I didn't know such thing. Uh, and there's two awesome things I want to give Moab a shout out for. The first thing is that they're running Kid Hammer. So they're going to get some uh, some younger Age of Sigma players into the tournament scene by running a really inclusive tournament. Um, for those people, I think it's like under 16s. Uh, and the second thing is apparently they've got an awesome second-hand market where you can pick up some really sweet old hammer models. It's it's awesome. It is really good. That's it was there def- last year. That's definitely a turnaround from the last time I was at Mohab where they had like promo girls giving out the round times and things. Yeah, that was that was maybe not ideal in line with last episode. You know, maybe they should sort of recant and stop doing things like that. But maybe we should recant. <laughs> I think we, we did recant. In fact, you fair, recanted at the start. Don't they don't do that anymore and they haven't done that for a while. Yeah, prob- probably a good yeah. thing. It's been a few years since we've been to Moab. I, I'm keen. I'm probably keen it's on It's been both. a while since I won Moab, hasn't it? It's been a while since I won Moab. Um, if that ever I'm pretty, I'm pretty keen on both these events, you know, work permitting and time permitting and girlfriend permitting, etc. But, yeah, they sound awesome. I'd, I'd love – and that's what I'm so keen on, kind of coming back to gaming. It's been a few years since I've regularly played tournament war games and and I haven't had that kind of regular tournament scene that I used to have, you know, circa four or five years ago before I went to Europe. So Because this is also not an exhaustive list. Like the, no, there are there's, several there's, other tournaments heaps coming up in the, ne- the rest of the year. Yeah, so I think there's probably about half a dozen in the calendar already. Um, 
does maybe raise the question of whether we're over oversubscribed. And I think with a maturing scene, hopefully we'll we'll start to line them up so that they're sort of maybe monthly in future. Um, one thing that I did forget to mention about Moab that that obviously needs to be addressed is I've got the free first round win. So I'm playing Kakwa the peasant. Um, very much looking forward to to taking his shit off the table and and hopefully get him to quit Age of Sigma for the second time. That man is an animal. He's he's just sold his entire magic collection and just ploughed all the money into Age of Sigma on basically the back of this podcast alone, which I think is not sufficient reason to do anything. You know, I've never beaten Kakwa in any game system ever. I've never played him in any game system ever, which will change very soon, I'm sure. Yes, sorry, that's a that's a an in joke for people listening at home. Yeah, we don't do in jokes in this podcast. Oh, fuck, what was the point then? Content, content. We focus on content. All right, so listen to questions. So we'll get to some Kakwa questions later. If we must. If we must. We, we're, gonna, we're, we're looking at all the questions. We don't discriminate here on the Dwellers Below. We <laughs> definitely do. Did you listen to episode one? I mean, the tribunal should be on to this shit. That's why Gentilly's not here. Um, but yeah, to answer Matt's question, we're, we're probably not going to be running a Dwellers Con in the in the super near future. Like it's been a few years since I've personally TO'd an event and, and the, the itch is coming back and, and I'm sure at some point I'll scratch that itch. But um, yeah, I don't think in the, in, the, in the sort of super near future that we're going to be running any events. And Brad's shaking his head. I know he ran a bolt action event in the weekend and probably doesn't want to run an event again. I mean, yeah, there's definitely potential for doing like some smaller scale things, but the, the kind of ridiculousness of some of the old tournaments is, I guess, not on the cards for us yet. But the scene is starting to get big enough to support those kind of things again, which is, you know, that's pretty, pretty fucking cool. All right, our next question, Tin Racer Steve. We're back to Twitter, by the way. We'll get back to the rest of the Facebook ones later after our brief diversion. Thank you, Brad. Jeez, get on Twitter, people, honestly. Um, Tin Racer Steve, are you more excited about what the new rules, points, spells and realms will do to your army or scared it will change the vibe of how it plays? Excited. Incidentally, this guy's Twitter, fucking hell. What a modeler. This, you've got to check it out. This is Steve Foote? Yeah, this is Steve Foote. And it's just amazing. Some of the stuff that he does, um, unreal. Shout outs to Steve Foote. Yeah, I think I've seen some of his stuff in the past. It's... Okay. So, for instance, he did a Tomb King army recently, or it may have been a while ago now. I saw the pictures recently where he bought his fucking stuff in in, like, the Ark of the Covenant. It took two people to carry his army tray around from one round to the next. That is definitely next level. All right. Uh, B. Bainbridge, I need to know if 40 white lines are worth fielding. No. No? Move on. Move on. Back to, back to in-jokes that we don't do on this podcast. Uh, Danny Roy, and this is probably one for Sam because the rest of us don't know any real rules details. Uh, why does the Night Haunt book give you six underworld spells yet their casters don't know any spells from the lore of the underworld? Can you substitute spells? I mean, the book's not out yet, but... The book's not out? Yeah. Well, stand by. We'll get back to you. Like hold, the, you hold your horses. The, the, for what it's worth, the templating on these things in the past has been like the War Scroll doesn't say specifically that you can take the spells from your allegiance, but the rules for the allegiance, which are in a separate section, say that you can uh, use those spells with certain spellcasters. So even if it's not on the war scroll, it, there's a very good chance that they can still take it. Yeah, that's right. I've read some stuff. There you go. Surprises every time. 
Uh, Randy, Tortor1990 on Twitter. How many of you are going into power gaming mode and how many are being casual theme gamers? What, why does there need to be a distinction, Randy? Why can't we do both? Says the power gamer. So, <laughs> I, I mean, like playing at tournaments now, apparently there is no theme gaming anymore. It's just take the filth and, you know, the filth will average out, which is, you know, that's something I can get behind. We've definitely managed in the past to combine the two. I mean, Siege theme, anyone? My Siege theme army was so <laughs> themed. I, I, I still have conversations with Greg Johnson about how much playing with that army of ours made him hate Warhammer. The, the fact that... <laughs> We had a chaos army that sat at the back of the table and shot people with hell cannons. That was all it did. And he had to play it for like two hours. But it was really thematic. See, the flip side of that is while he was having a miserable time with that, I was playing 40K, which was significantly worse. <laughs> Even more miserable. I mean, frankly, I want to be convinced that the game is good enough to want to play to develop a theme or be a power gamer. So like, without actually having uh, like painted the models yet, because I'm still trying to finish my old army, uh, all of the lists I'm writing at the moment have, uh, they're like a kind of halfway point between theme and power gaming. Because I want to play with like something that's good on the table, but also the thing that's got me excited about modeling and doing Age of Sigmar hobby is the fact that Sigmar is a bag of dicks and trying to work out the ways that I can represent Sigmar's dickness within either like an army list or with the way that things are modeled. And so I've been thinking about ways of showing, you know, Stormcast Eternals being fucking tyrannical riot police kind of guys or just generally obnoxious. Um, and so like, there's definitely some theme stuff going on in the background, but in terms of exactly what units I'm going to use to represent that, Hopefully they're going to be really filthy. I think that answers the question pretty well. We're, theme is a, is a side project that will be looked at once we've figured out what the best things are and we'll take all of those. <laughs> My army comes from the planet of Skyfires. <laughs> all right. We've got a couple of the probably my favourite questions coming up. Um at Mantic Moments, uh, a lot of the dwellers were very much against Age of Sigma when it first came out. Why have you decided to play it instead of one of the other fantasy games out there? It seems that rules-wise there are closer spiritual successes. Do you still call it Wednesday Night Warhammer? Hang on a second. Who was asking this question again? At Mantic Moments. Mantic. That's a familiar sounding word. I wonder what it could possibly be and where this question might be leading. So now you've insulted someone as well. Well done. (laughs) I dived deep into the realm of Mantica and it came up wanting. Basically. I mean, it's awful. The fluff's terrible. The models are pretty... They're all right. They're getting a lot better. The rules are pretty good, but the game has no world that matters and it makes me want to quit gaming. Yeah, I think... They're coming out with their first novels. (laughs) Should they, though? (laughs) To be fair, they have some really good authors and uh, in the new year, coming in late 2018, early 2019, we're actually going to get some really good new books from them. I, I, I've got to, I, as I'm probably the biggest uh, Kings of War cheerleader on the podcast. I think the ga- the rule system they have is phenomenal and I really like it, which means that answering the question, why am I super psyched to do Age of Sigma instead of this rule system I really like is potentially quite instructive. And that's partly that the Games Workshop models are like over and above infinitely uh, and, better. and are continuing to improve. And the other side of things, and, and this is a problem that uh, I predicted because I'm fucking psychic when Ninth Age was getting off the ground, was the 
way that you can build a scene and the amount of like on the ground support for building something like that. Games Workshop still have bricks and mortar stores. They still have the widest reach of companies. And so the enthusiasm and the momentum behind their game for better or worse is ahead of what other games seem to have at the moment. And that kind of excitement is contagious. Yeah. I genuinely think we could do a whole episode on the strengths and weaknesses of various games. And it's been something I've wanted to talk about for a while. So maybe, maybe that'll be next episode. We'll see how we go. But um, for me, the, the key part of this question is it seems that rules wise, there are closer spiritual successors to, to Warhammer than age of Sigma, but so Warhammer was a game that was designed 30 years ago and progressively patched for 30 years. So I guess there's the question of, is that an antiquated model? You know, a new games and particularly sort of objective-based games um, with better lateral movement, um, sort of a mobility of units, you know, are they actually more engaging as a player? And is, is, is it a better system? So certainly it's not a better rule set. That's a different question. The rules that Manning have pulled together are really tight and I – similar to Chris, really enjoy playing Kings of War. Um, but I guess the question is, is that an outmoded model? Well, I mean, we're still seeing new games with Rank and Flank. Um, the Kickstarter for A Song of Ice and Fire, the... Um, is that like the card game Jay plays with his mom? It is literally that game. <laughs> I mean, but it's a Rank and Flank game, and the Kickstarter for that literally just delivered in Australia this week. So we're starting to see other Rank and Flank games, you know, coming back into... I don't know, into the consciousness of people who are playing and clearly a shitload of people back that Kickstarter. So, you know, does that make rank and flank a dead model or is was, as you say, Warhammer just time to go and do something different? I think that they're representing different ways of representing conf- like battles and things. Uh, you know, some kind of conflicts are going to be that more objective paced thing and representing it that way works. And other kinds of things are going to be, you know, armies of people lining up and running into each other until they're all dead because they hadn't worked out tactics yet in the like 1600s. As someone who has a PhD in the transformation of war over history, can we all agree that the Ninth Age is shit? <laughs> I mean, basically, no, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not that we went to AOS because it's the most direct successor of the game that we played. We went to Ninth Age because it's supported by the company that we liked and it has the AOS. models that we liked. We went to Ninth, to Ninth Age. To AOS, sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it actually doesn't... It's not that, that AOS is the most direct successor is that AOS is supported by the models that we want to keep painting and buying and that the similar people are buying them, right? It's also, the artwork is fucking cool. The artwork is great. For well, me, for me, the, the big word is spiritual. And while Kings of War is a, is a rank and flank game and a very, very good rank and flank game, I played a fair bit of it uh, a few years ago. You know, it's a very good game, but it just it doesn't have the same feel as Warhammer ever did. And, and the Ninth Age is similar in... You know, initially the Ninth Age had that had that feel to it because it was basically Warhammer. They've again they've gone a little bit further away, a little bit further away, and and the you know is the more tournament scene focus. So for me, Age of Sigma has the Warhammer vibe, and for three years I played a bunch of different games and I did not get the Warhammer vibe from any of them until more recently when we've played Age of Sigma. I don't know if it's the fact that you're rolling a lot of dice, it's the models, it's the fluff, it's a combination I, of I think it's because the vibe doesn't come from the rules. It comes from the, the, the things around you. Yes. Yeah. Because there's no similarity between like, well, there's very little similarity between the old Warhammer games and Age of Sigma, the old fantasy Warhammer games and Age of Sigma. Yeah. But 
the the people that I've played against and the people that I've been talking about Age of Sigma to are the people I loved hanging out with back in the day. And to me, at least, that that's really where the as you say, like that's where the spirit the spirit flows through. It's it got goes the, on. There's the continuity as well. You know, a lot of the things that you know were cool in eighth edition are still cool now in age of sigma you know nagash is still a big guy i mean nagash mm-hmm. wasn't really an eighth head but a big guy that caused, you know, cast spells you know my lizard man army it kind of from a fluff perspective and a gaming perspective works the same way i've got my slani cast all these spells my skinks run around i've just dropped something um my skinks run around grabbing objectives my saurus and my fighters so and there was that bit of a leap away from that with some of the other games that just yeah. meant i couldn't quite translate my my absolute ridiculous love of, of Warhammer 8th edition over to things like Kings of War, things like Ninth Age, but I could transfer it over to Age of Sigma and, and have done. But does everything tra- port over the way it's, you know, you the way you remember it? No, because some of the things were broke as a joke in 8th edition, just as they were in the previous edition. And the just edition some things that. are in Age of Sigma. Like yeah, I think, I think and exactly. Some things are broken, you know, is in Age of Sigma. And, but... There's enough of it that when you go back to it and you go, oh, I wonder what Thankwell's up to. Oh, I wonder what Nagash is up to. Oh, Neferata. What is she doing these days? And it's that returning to the universe. It, sure, it isn't the universe that we knew before, but the characters are still there. And the, and it's actually, the narrative's progressing. It, it isn't the same five minutes to midnight that we got for 40K for 8,000 years we are looking at a progressing storyline with characters that we know and love. Some of them are being written out. Some of them are, be, you know, new ones are being introduced, but they're interacting with the old characters. And that creates an interesting story for us to, I don't know, invest in. I'm sorry, Sam, did I cut you off there? I mean, no. No, I guess I, I was no, just No, no, so, sorry. I just while, while whoa, I cut whoa, you off. Whoa, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. Yeah. There. Whoa, 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 sorry, Brad, what was that? <laughs> Were you asking a question about tournaments again? <laughs> yes, yeah, what, what are yes. the tournaments coming up? I think probably one of the things which is interesting coming out of this question is what do you want out of your game? And yeah. to be frank, I couldn't care less about balance. And I think balance is a fallacy in any sort of um, dice based game where you get to design a list. So for me, I embrace the fact that Games Workshop aren't particularly good at writing a balanced set. So the fact that Kings of War is more balanced isn't actually, doesn't actually make it more appealing to me, I guess is my point. I want to buy a game that I'm invested in the world and that takes a bunch of effort from the person who's producing that game to basically bring me in. And at the start of AOS, it didn't happen. And I tried pretty hard. I read a bunch of black library books. I read the the books that came out and it it didn't happen. Now I'm giving it a go, see how that travels. But I'll I'll tell you what, the the Kings of War rule system looks fantastically crisp and well-written, but when I read their fluff, I'm not interested at all. And the world of Mantica is not one that I want to spend a minute in. And that... I think actually for me makes a huge difference. Your game can be unlimitedly great. If I don't care about the world that I'm fighting in, I'm kind of done. I don't care. Yeah. It seems like we've all got kind of different reasons for wanting to play various games. Um, You know, for me, I was more competitive sort of three years ago. So I did play Kings of War a bit more because it's more of a, a polished competitive game. Nowadays I'm moving away from that. I think most of us here are. And so we've kind of landed on Age of Sigma. Kind of on that, well, I, I'm 
given the way things are at the moment, I'm probably almost more likely to play a Kings of War tournament right now than an Age of Sigmar one because the Age of Sigmar ones seem to be two days. Kings of War ones are a lot of the time one day and I just find it, given the way my life is at the moment, easier to commit that amount of time. Uh, that said, if I'm going to play a game with friends, I'm probably going to pick Age of Sigmar uh, over Kings of War at the moment because that's where the excitement is. Is, like, is it a tournament or is it a, is it a hobby weekend? It's a tournament. There's a winner. There's a trophy. Five games or six? Three. That's enough. That's not a tournament. I, I couldn't agree more with Chris. I mean, I went through a master's and was do, you know working full time and just life got, a, got away from me and I just didn't have time to breathe and I couldn't even play in one day events. And at the moment, I'm just working my way back up. The, uh, the Green Dragon GT will be my first two day event in... <laughs> Ages. Blue Dragon, come on, come on. Blue Dragon. So the Red yeah. Dragon GT. No, no, the Purple Dragon Spyro. GT. Spyro. The Rainbow Dragon GT. At, at Good Games. Um, no, seriously, like that will be the first two-day event I plan, and I can't tell you how many years. And I'm looking forward to sort of cycling back into a two-game event weekend, but I'm, I'm still not there yet. And there's a lot of people who just don't have time at the moment. Um, but as we're sort of easing our way back in and we're building the momentum and the hype and just the enthusiasm to want to wrestle that from you know, getting permission from our partners to do such a thing. Um, honestly, you know, I, as Chris says, I, I want to play this game. I don't want to play it a lot. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. So, so to finalize this question, let's just do a quick, let's go around the table. Yes or no, starting with Chris, do we think Brad is actually going to turn up to this two-day event? At least for a couple of hours. I'm predicting it's going to be his first to third games of Age of Sigma before he drops out day two. It's a hard no from me. <laughs> I hate all of you miserable bastards. Nick, would you like to vote? You're going to play the odds? It's uh, over or under on like one hour at the tournament venue. <laughs> he'll I be at you. the venue, but he'll probably be playing. He'll be buying figures that he's never going to use. <laughs> hey, <laughs> son of a bitch. All right, so similar question from Chad Murphy. What made you guys take the plunge into Age of Sigmar rather than follow the old hammer route with Ninth Age? I think we've we've covered that. But his side question, have you guys found it difficult to release the chains of rank and file fantasy gaming to more loose formations and a generally more fluid style of game? It's it's a little different moving individual models. It's a bit of a pain in the ass, really, let's be honest, because we don't have movement trays yet because we're all a bit new. It's also surprising how much longer it takes to mechanically play the game as well. Like, you have fewer models than in some of those other games, but it takes a, it can take a lot longer to play, especially when you have to like roll a dice to see if on a six plus you get to roll a dice to see if your model re-rolls its ones and then you get to re-roll those ones, which only hit on a six plus. We get it. You don't like rolling dice. Exiting the salt farm. We've all played 40K and shit. No, this is pretty normal, but annoying. No. Plus, like if you put some movement trays on, it's, it's relatively similar. Um, uh, another question from Chad. Have you guys had to deal with backlash from any purists, in inverted commas, within your gaming groups or clubs uh, for betraying and forsaking Old Hammer slash the Ninth Age? I mean, games work The Ninth Age is Old, Old Hammer and they can go back to their troglodytic holes of degenerate inbreeding. <laughs> it's, it, it's entirely possible, Chad, that we've had some negative feedback, but it, it's also entirely possible that we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I'm I, I'm actually not saying this to plug my own podcast. C A S T D I C E Warhammer. French Canadian. Yes. 
So seriously, though. Tell us more about your podcast. I, I did. No, I seriously, I did a. So I, I typically do bolt action content, but I, I cover a lot of game systems. <laughs> and shut up. <laughs> I did one episode on um, sort of what games workshop. I did what I did one episode about what how Games Workshops changed in recent years, and it was sort of a general look at Age of Sigmar, how Second Edition was coming out, Necromunda, uh, you know, 40k, a whole lot of games, and how Games Workshop is getting it right. Whereas for a while they weren't, and I get you know lots of messages from a lot of people who listen to the show, but I got what 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 show is that? C A S T D I C E. No, seriously. I got a crap load of hate for that episode, and I almost get nothing f- from other places. People are legitimately really angry with Games Workshop for some of the you know maneuvers that were made in the past. And as someone who you know, and I know everyone in this room can commiserate that when Eighth Ed died, there was a lot of salt. But you know, it you got to look past that at some point. You got to forgive and you got to move on. But I was shocked at how much hate I got. For that one episode. You're surprised that people on the internet get really passionate about nerdy things. True story. Yeah. Yeah. I usually get really positive messages. Anyway, C A S T. Okay, so we. It, I was trying to say something, you motherfuckers. I hate you I all. I think we're going to start charging you every time you mention that C-A-S-T. podcast. C A S T. Fuck. And then we won't need advertising. <laughs> We won't have to do shout outs. I mean, like Sam's got it figured out. He's clearly getting something, you know, some money for these shout outs. He's a lot more professional than we are with it. Don't don't think it's money. It's more sexual than that. Rainbow a, Dragon GT. Very awkward pause. Um, all right. So the next question, moving on to the Facebook questions again. Uh, Jeremy Hunter, why don't you use pa- why don't you use painted models or a decent amount of terrain? That's something I've noticed. I. Uh, I've seen you guys play a couple of times down at Good Games, host of the Blue Dragon GT. and um, The Rainbow Dragon GT. You're using far fewer pieces of terrain than actual AOS players. So you haven't made that, that conscious change yet. Your tables still look like 8th edition tables. See, the thing about that is that no one's said how many... Like, it doesn't say in the rule yeah, book how many to 15 pieces of terrain that have table. to be on a table. 12 to 15. That's the rule? That, that's a nice distribution of terrain. Well, so can, can you, on what page does it tell me that I have to do that? Well, there's five books in front of me. I'm not sure what yeah. book it tells you that that's the rule. So is that if you lay it out and you sort of push all the terrain to one side, would you say that that's about a third or a half of the table should be covered up with terrain? No, that's I wouldn't. That's actually I legitimate. Would. <laughs> like, that is how it's done in a lot of games. I'm not just being weird and arbitrary. Like, you, like the, the kind of games you cover on C-A-S-T. No, d- shut up. Seriously, how much of your table should be covered? Should it look like lots, one of lots those? Lots of it, I reckon. I think the the more terrain, um, if you're using some of the terrain war scrolls, obviously the the terrain effects from the rule book, um, albeit they might be a little generic for some people's tastes. Uh, p- particularly with the, the new edition, the the, the they've got the one inch w- sort of bubble, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, let's we're talking about inches. The 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 three inches has become one inch. There's been some shrinkage. Um, so the terrain doesn't affect as large an area on the board as it used to because even if you had a kind of six-inch diameter hill, there was a there was a three-inch uh, a bubble around that, which is now only one inch. So, yeah, p- we should probably be using more terrain. Certainly a couple of times I think the terrain's been preset and we haven't really changed it. But, um, yeah, I think we should be probably using more terrain. As far as models go, 
it's just a case we're using our old stuff. Uh, new stuff is in the works. It's getting painted. It's getting painted. Slowly. It's slowly getting painted. You can check out our hobby updates. They're terrible on our website, <laughs> but but go there. Also, can I point out that part of that is that the terrain rules in AOS 1 were terrible and didn't encourage you to invest a lot in complicated terrain. Yeah, that's probably Because fair. they were like, everything is the same. Is it a forest? Is it a mountain? Is it a castle? Yeah, they're very similar. Roll yeah. the dice. Yeah. So something I've actually been finding with, yeah, like putting more terrain on the table when it's like bonuses for things that are nearby. Uh, I, I know I rag on uh, people and by people I mean you guys talking about like immersive stuff in the game. But to me, one of the things that isn't very immersive is when terrain works, not so much like your models are hiding in it, but when terrain's just giving bubble buffs to everyone who's nearby. And it's, yeah, like it's not just that it's all a bit samey, it's also that it's kind of not really, like what you see on the table isn't what your models are interacting with. It's some arbitrary dice roll that they stand around nearby and then get to re-roll their ones. An arcane hill isn't necessarily as immersive as, say, for instance, some huge wizard's tower that's also arcane. Or, or it's more like if you're... Or sta- a ghost fence. <laughs> but, but oh, like, ghost fence. standing on a hill and, like, having something that represents that makes more... You know, like, yeah. being able to shoot over things or whatever makes more sense to me than standing on a hill and getting plus one to cast. Again, yeah. the most recent rulebook is better on this. It's got better stuff, but it's not there yet. More complexity, would I think, would make it better and the dice roll is not a great mechanic. Yeah, I think I think the terrain and and the models will will come in time. We're we're going to be painting stuff. We'll, we might get some of our own terrain, um, but yeah, there's certainly an element of oh, that's a rock and that's a rock, but that's a damned rock and that's an arcane rock and and that's a sinister rock. But would it help if we had more like forest themed terrain, yeah. or should I leave that kind of pun alone? Forests are great because they block line of sight. That's a really cool rule change as well. I don't think we've really talked about that. Is like. A lot of certainly down here tournaments are, are talking about the, this using woods as citadel woods, so they now block line of sight. And and certainly I've noticed on our tables that we've used, there has not been enough line of sight blocking terrain. Line of sight's been a rule that's almost never been you know come into it. So I'm actually pretty keen to play some games where there is a bit more line of sight Don't blocking terrain. Don't be a dick. You're just taking Lord Croak, who doesn't care about line of sight, and just AOE blowing shit up anyway. The last game we played, there was heaps of line of sight blocking and none of it mattered. All right. So next question, rebasing. None of them, all of them, mix of uh, rebased or not. That's from Liam Barth. Pretty. Oh. S- what was that? All of them. All it, of them? It depends on the investment oh, you've made. Chris's army, Chaos Army, looks beautiful on squares. It would look even better on rounds. That's an investment in time, isn't it? Yeah. So, like, I've I've ordered the rounds to like blue tack them on, but I I don't want to have to remake the entire bases. So they're not going to look as good as they might, but it's just like so much faster to just put the square bases on round bases and you know move on to like actually starting a new army, which is super exciting. Now I. I've been doing a couple of army projects. Yeah, you guys are going to start laughing in a minute. All of you die. Um, so it's an army project when you take it out of the box, take a photograph of it and put it back in the box? Yes. You know, you have to work on it for at least an afternoon or three before you can do that. Yeah, is anyway. working on it putting them back in the box? Though? No, working on it is buying some figures loosely related to that army but not actually taking them out of a box. I'm trying, all right? I'll, I'll have an army on the board and I'll play some games and then you guys will be sorry. But in the meantime, um, <clears throat> the long, long, never-ending meantime. In the never-ending meantime. Uh, look, square bases look great, but oftentimes they were really tight on the models, especially towards the end of 
you know, eighth edition, the, the models were spilling out over the edge of the bases. They were huge. They were wonderful models. And the fact that we are now getting big, round, oval, whatever shape bases they are, but we're getting more space to put them on, gives us as hobbyists a lot more opportunity to do interesting things with them. My models, and I've been rebasing a ton, and yes, I've been spending a lot of money on bases, and yes, it involves a lot of different armies, you jerks, but they look much better on much bigger bases. And the the armies are really coming into their own in a way they never did before. And yes, I would say it's worth rebasing. It is a lot of time. It is a lot of money. It is a massive pain in the balls. But it looks so much better than it used to. Yeah, like if my plan was to continue playing the like the same army, I would you know for the next year or so, I would definitely rebase it. Um, but because I'm I'm wanting to like start a new one, it's more for me. It's more a case of like what corners can I cut, what shortcuts can I take to play you know like a tournament or two with this army whilst I start making some progress on the next one, which will start on round basis. Seems about right. All right, this segment's been going for all of the time. So we might cut to a quick break and then we'll finish off our Facebook questions, have a little bit of a chat about hobby-wise what we're planning to do before the next episode and then uh, call it a wrap. Okay, we are we are back to back, and we're going to go straight back into the uh, the listener questions. Thanks to Kate Bush for her Wuthering Heights. I, man, I love that song so much. <laughs> I've listened to it like five times every day for the last two weeks. I, I've recently discovered the Cranberries. Like, I, I know this is a blast from the past for some people, but for me, it's like you've recently <laughs> discovered the Cranberries. I mean, are you serious? Like, I knew about Zombie, but I've been going and listening to like backtracks from their like early albums and things. It's really hot stuff. Well, Linger a- is not hot stuff. No, but fucking loud and clear is the shit. That is good, to be mm. fair. They're probably not coming up with any new content anytime soon. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, that's a hard no for me. <laughs> Too soon? Jesus. So, listen to questions. <laughs> oh, please stop. Uh, Justin Norman. Uh, hi, guys. I'm jumping in on the AOS 2.0. I think it's more of a 1.5 we were discussing before. It's like a 1.7623. We'll get to Cav Prince uh, percentages later. Um, Bandwagon, as I got a few Stormcast way back when AOS was released, um, but I dropped as I lost interest back then. Uh, I want to start up again as this is new for me. What do you guys have? uh, Do you guys have any suggestions for a new uh, collector or player on where to start and what to avoid and what's worth taking? No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we may not be the podcast for that big shout out uh <laughs> no justin uh, um, just came to play bolt action my event on the weekend <laughs> great dude anyway if you want to hear more about uh, bolt action you can check out <laughs> for god's sake so i up. think uh i think you made a really good choice in terms Thank of the you. Stormcast. they're going to be um sort of perpetually supported and um i, I guess it's maybe it, 
you you could be criticised for playing Age of Sigma on on easy mode. Um, certainly that's been the appeal for Chris, but I think. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of like an army that's super versatile, um, has lots of different um, play styles, it's certainly going to keep you interested and you can't go wrong with the Stormcast. And another thing that from my attempts to like actually work out how the game works, picking something with like a battle tome where you can just like take every – all your rules are in the same book is definitely a good way to start just in terms of reducing the amount of information that you need to sift through before you actually start playing games. But if you do want to have some variability in your list, I mean, quite a few of the old Warhammer lists got divvied out into a ton of different, you know, factions in Age of Sigmar. There's like, if you open General Handbook 2018, there's like two pages of point values for Sigmarite units there's more units for them than just about anything else. It's crazy. You can pick anything. You can pick anything because they ally with every single order faction. So say randomly you think to yourself you want a couple of Seraphon units, maybe you want a Frostheart Phoenix, uh, you might want some Caradron Overlords, get the, the shooty guys in there. There are heaps of options to supplement your army. Free Guild Peasants. <laughs> Even if you want Daughters of Cain, which seem to be one of the least likely armies to have the Sigmarines along for... Those bros are in there, man. They're yeah. all about the chicks. They're like, let's hang out. Lawful, so I, lawful evil. Yeah, exactly, could, right? I think you could probably squeeze in five units of heart renders. So heart renders are 80 points a pop. Yeah. Um, you deploy them in the sky. They drop down. They're really good. 400 points. Perfect. Too easy. Uh, Damien Mitchell, is Skirmish the best place to start for getting the basic mechanics of the game learned or better to jump in with full battles? Um, yeah, for me, full battles, I just kind of put lots of models on the table. It, it means your first couple of games are really clunky, but you kind of learn. I find I learn really quickly. Yeah, I found playing, well, I played a couple of thousand point games to start off with and that was, yeah, I, I wouldn't like start playing 2,000 point games to begin with in a vacuum just because the turns can take quite a long time when you have to look back to your, uh, you know, you have to look back to your war scroll every time because your Marauder champion does something different to your warrior of chaos champion. And like, you know, there's a fair bit of checking and things that can bog things down. So I, I found a smaller game was really useful, but also that playing like the stock standard rules has made it much easier to scale that up into big games. I think scale is really important there. So one of the things that I would caution people on is if you're playing on a four by four, that's not the same experience as playing on a 6x4. So even if you're playing 1K, I'd still recommend playing on a 6x4. That's because units in Age of Sigmar are just inherently faster than they were in the, the old 8th edition. Uh, and a lot of units have the ability to do things like teleport or redeploy. So probably playing on the full-size tables could go as well. That's a good point. Byron, who wins in an arm wrestling match, Gork or Mork? Dave, the fluff guru. Donald Trump every time. Trump. That's a controversial hot take there. I'm going to go with Gork. I don't think we do political discussion on the Dwellers, Dave. Neither does Donald Trump. <laughs> Trudeau? No. No. <laughs> take, take your Canadian, no, come on. Take your Canadian sympathies elsewhere, Brad. I, I feel like he would at least beat Trump in an arm wrestle. Maybe not Gork. Have you seen that handshake? Also, yeah. I mean, have you seen... I mean, he is a specimen. In his boxing days. We're still talking about Donald Trump, right? True. I thought, I thought we were on to Putin now. Also. Are we riding bears around this place? Is that what's going on? So which... Next question. Which member of the G20 would you and why? Angela <laughs> Merkel. Come on. She's Please. A, she's, she's very fo- heteronormative. She's a foxy lady. Anyway, moving on. Who's right. the... Uh, 
<laughs> I'm not going to go there. No. <laughs> no. Hey, oh, New Zealand Prime Minister. <laughs> She's on maternity leave. Not right now. For those listening, Brad is like a meter away from his microphone and just yelling at the top of his voice. He's just saying, I love Canada. He's just saying, I love Canada over and over. It's really getting annoying. Oh, Canada. Shut up, my Brad. Home and sacred land. <laughs> Jabe, I miss you so much. <laughs> Please come back to the podcast. Can't do this anymore. Next listener question. Come on, Nick. All right. Uh, John has asked, how do you guys like the factions? Do you prefer themed factions like Nighthawk, uh, Nighthaunt or Swifthawks? Or do you prefer a blend of armies like in the old Warhammer Fantasy days? Dave was complaining about this earlier. Dave. I feel co- it's difficult. I, I'm really frustrated that all of my armies but Ogres are not valid and you can't play them as a single army anymore because they've been cut up into bunches of different smaller factions, which is quite frustrating but on the same time I feel like most of the stuff from the old world doesn't fit in Age of Sigma anymore and that they've kept them on because they're trying to provide space for older players like me basically the Wood Elves Empire, Bretonians, Tomb Kings High Elves, Dark Elves should not fit in Age of Sigma and need to be retired. To me some of the factional divisions kind of make sense so where you have like Daughters of Cain as a faction yeah that was always like a subset of Dark Elves or splitting up the trees and the elves from Wood Elves like those kind of factional divisions sort of make sense but when you have like the Phoenix people and that's like two people riding Frostheart Phoenixes and Phoenix Guard and that's your entire faction at that point it kind of seems a bit silly. Firebellies. It's just fire bellies. It's yeah. <laughs> one character. There's nothing else. Sweet faction, bro. All by myself. I got really excited because for five seconds I realized the trolls were their own faction and was like, oh my God, I have 24 trolls. I can do a troll army. No, I can't. None of them are battle line. <laughs> Ba-bow. Uh, yeah, so mixed feelings on the factions, I guess. Seems that way, doesn't it? I, I think it's very hit or miss because while Dave's armies don't work, I also had a ton of themed armies. Most of mine did, which is why I keep going through this like spiral of falling down the, oh, I have this army. I have most of this army. I have most of that army. Whereas Dave's like, I've got 40% of an army. I'm going, I have 85% of an army. So while I'm dying, Dave's dying for a different reason. And I think um, the game's been frustrating for both of us in different regards. How's the game been frustrating for you? You haven't played any games. <laughs> because I haven't gotten an army done because I'm close for like literally five projects. So close. So close. I think Edging, one might say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or one might. <laughs> move on. Please, for the love of God, move on. Oh, dear. Um, so... The hard-hitting questions. We're going to... Last couple questions. These are the real big ones. What's the latest with Nick Cage and does the moon still (laughs) hit his eye? So his career has spiraled to the the point where he's he's pumping out like about eight or nine movies per year now. See the Kirk Cameron? None of them are making the cinema. They're all on Netflix. He has the kind of career that other actors only dream of. Like the amount that he's pumping out is fantastic. Yep. Volume. Volume is is definitely important. That's definitely Adam Sandler's take on things. For selling his comic collection, he deserves to be in B-actor purgatory forever. 
What? Like <laughs> a big pizza pie, it's amore. I love how the best Nick Cage answer we got was from the guest, you know, on the cast, the one that probably shouldn't know all the Nick Cage related memes. <laughs> he had tax problems. It's not his fault. <laughs> he had a wife that made him sell his comic collection. Yeah, okay, we've covered that. No, we, that's we should not say that okay. a third. We should say that a third time. What happened to his comic book yeah. collection? What did happen to the comic books? Can, sorry, can, can I just make... C-A... <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to talk about the elephant in the room, or in this case, Kakwa. Oh. C-A-S... Oh, no, no Kakwa. K-A-K-A-W-A-H. Kakwa of the Mortal Realms at Gronkama, a, a short-lived but uh, entertaining podcast that no longer exists, which is a shame. But Kakwa still exists, and we're all going to see him at Kakfest. That is, the, I haven't travelled for a like a wargaming event in like three years or something at this point, and I'm going to drive to Wollongong to drink in a field. So this was that this was is f- what we've come to. This was the first question, which is a bit of a shout out, I guess. But how how fucking high is morale for Cacfest? And is Dave coming? Dave, what's the word? You coming? Come on. It wouldn't be a surprise if I told you now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cop out. Don't tease me like that, bro. Don't keep me on the edge. And the 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 probably the best question of the night. Certainly the the. The toughest to answer, I think. We've managed to answer most of the questions. Some of them we haven't had really cohesive answers to. <laughs> most of them. Most, yeah. But Kakwa of the Mortal Realms, he asks, if your missus and your mum swapped bodies, which one would you rather fuck? And I think the answer to that is always going to be Kakwa. Option three. Thank you. Right. Seriously, what? Oh. He's an odd man. We're going to have a break. We're going to talk about some hobby and then we'll let you go because this is uh, a bit of a mess. Luckily, the medium of podcasting means that they have already gone. If they were ever here to begin with. All right, we're back. Uh, We're going to wrap this up pretty quick because the egg is complaining that we're wasting some of his precious time. Well, we've wasted our listeners' time for fucking four and a half years at this point. They're probably (laughs) probably complaining. about. If you want to complain about us wasting your time, uh, go away and don't complain. Email C A S T D I C E. I'm not sure what your email is, Brad, but email them. Just Google it. If you go to Facebook <laughs> and you actually search it up, look up the dwellers and leave me alone, please. You can actually you can actually get in contact with us uh, on our, on our email, uh, our Twitter, and our, our Facebook. So. Twitter and Facebook is pretty well published, but email is contact at thedwellersblow.net. Uh, check out our website. We've got some, uh, some photos of some hobby we've been doing. But speaking of hobby, what are, we, what are we looking at for the next couple of weeks, next couple of months with the new edition? So I'm in this weird equilibrium point where I'm trying to paint up some of the rest of my, uh, some of the rest of my chaos army from the old game so that I can play the new game. The problem that I'm having, though, is that the more time I spend trying to update that army, the longer it's taking me to get started on a new army, which will be, you know, like totally embedded in AOS. I'm literally doing the same thing. Um, I am trying to find the army. And, you know, people have been laughing at me this whole time because I keep switching armies. I do have my new AOS army. I have an entire Nurgle Demon army that I have bought to run in this edition. I am just trying to get an army on the table in the meantime. So, yes, I've gone through quite a few armies um, and I've pulled out quite a few mostly finished projects. The closest I can get are my orcs, uh, my green skins, or 
my daughters of Cain. So one of those two will be playing at the Blue Dragon GT at Good Games, and I'm going to have a good time playing it, and I'm just not sure which one, but whatever is done will be done. I will be playing with it, and then I'm going to be turning it around and doing Nurgle Demons and having a really good time just taking my time with some hobby and you know using some colors that aren't World War II uniform related. I don't want to paint gray. I don't want to paint khaki. I want to paint something weird and bright and pops you in the eye. So your Nurgle won't be green and brown? They might be, but they're <laughs> going to be obscenely crazy. Like I, I want something that really is just like ridiculous on the tabletop. It's not going to be turquoise. It's not going to be purple, Chris. I'm sorry. It's I'm so be sick of else. painting purple and yellow. <laughs> yeah. The no. last three armies I've done have been the same fucking colors. And now I'm just wasting all my time painting Chaos Knights, which have more surface area than any other model in the history <laughs> of the world. Yeah, right? Oh, God. Can I just say how much I miss foundation paints? Um, I've been painting. They still exist. They're really hard to come by. Like the yellow one was wonderful. Aren't they just Citadel base? Yeah, but they're not. The, the yellow one isn't the same as, was it Tau Ochrecept? That was a truly remarkable color. I'm going to be honest. I'm using their base one at the moment, whatever the replacement is. And it's, it's close enough. Is it? I, it is for me. And I paint a fuck ton of yellow. All right. I'm going to be checking that out tomorrow. Good call, man. Try painting some models. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, if you've been watching, I've been painting a fuckload of models. See that? Get bent. What constitutes a fuckload? So I'm, I've been in AOS for maybe three months now, and I've just hit 3,000 points of Daughters of Cain. So fully painted on the table. My question is, what constitutes painting? Does getting patched to do up a Stormtrooper's army count as painting? Yes, it does. <laughs> All right. I'm going to hand over to you. <laughs> I, I'm with Chris. I'm sick of painting. You're not me! <laughs> I'm with Chris. I'm sick of painting purple. Um, I'm really hot on the new Nighthorn. I've been painting my lizards for like four or five years. I've got a few models I've got to paint. I've got to paint a croak and maybe some more astralis bearers because they're ridiculous uh, and, and gaming over theme, right? But um, yeah. What's theme? Nighthorn are amazing. The, the figures are cool. It sounds like the rules are going to be sick. Um, so far, I've the only like color scheme that I think I'm going to like is purple. So that's just <laughs> that's, makes me want to kill myself, but whatever. Um, I'll find some some other some other models. Um, but yeah, I haven't turquoise been turquoise maybe. Yeah, turquoise. Yeah. I haven't really been painting as much as just reading up on all the rules and checking out all the new stuff. Um, AOS Shorts has been putting heaps of stuff on his page about the Night Haunt and the, and all the new releases. So it's been really good to just fucking read about all the fucking news because there's some awesome stuff coming out. And I cannot wait till tomorrow to go and pick up my Night Haunt book. So I've been working, as I said, on the daughters. Uh, I'm converting up at the moment a Celestant Prime. So um, they've just changed the rules to the Stormcast. And as I understand it, he's going to do both a debuff to the enemy's bravery and a buff to your friendly model's bravery. So basically what that does is it strengthens Mindraiser, which is the spell my army is typically sort of built around. Or if you have a higher bravery than your opponent, you do additional damage and additional rends. That's really cool. Um, so I'm using the Saint Celeste model from the 40K range to do that. So I've clipped off all of the sort of sci-fi um, sort of elements to that, filed those down and replaced them with daughter's stuff. Uh, I've replaced her face with one of the masked Malusi faces. So she's got the big hair uh, like the rest of the army. She's got the really cool mask. And I never actually built a champion when I made my blood sisters, but the champion has one arm outstretched where she's like holding a, a, a bloody heart in her 
hand and is holding her halberd in the other hand single-handed. Um, so she looks really cool. She looks distinctly sort of um, Daughters of Cain and I think that'll port over nicely. Uh, my only reservation is that the Celestin Prime comes on a 10-centimetre round base. So I've got to do something on the base there. I've I bought some, do you call them plithes, plights? What's that word? Plinths. Plinths. Plinth. I bought some plinths. Plinths. It looks like a, a wedding cake, unfortunately. So I'm going to have to hack those up a little bit um, to go on the base because at the moment there's not enough sort of happening there. Um, so that's been my main sort of hobby thing at the moment. What's your problem with marriage? What? What? You're like this is a wedding cake. That, can, that can't be good. What? What? I don't understand. This well, has been a tried and like. True I want my army to look immersive, and if it looks like it's marzipan, Pe- people have been doing marzipan Warhammer armies for decades now. Right, so, so that's my that's my like main hobby priority project. So you're but doing then, a themed Celestin Prime. Yes. So in the Seraphon WhatsApp chat. Holy fuck! I'm in that chat. <laughs> Someone, which is awesome ta- chat. All hail the Blot Toad for everyone who's in that chat. But. Someone has made a Ripodactyl Prime it's for so their like Ripodactyl themed uh, Seraphon army, and so it's like they've taken the Celestine Prime, they've got the like the twirly swirls of of whatever it is, and they've just modelled it up to be like a giant Ripodactyl. I think they've used like the Balrog figure. It looks amazing. I can't wait till it's like fully painted, and it just it looks sick. It's and a it's, lot better than mine. Thanks, Nick. I feel inadequate. That's yeah, that's great. It's yeah, basically, but. And that's gaming over theme, right? A theme over gaming for once. You know, they've they've actually put some effort into, you know, interacting their theme with their games. As opposed to what Sam's just told us he's doing? Yeah, basically. <laughs> so that's that's sort of the, the primary hobby project. But on the back burner, um, Nick Gentili and I have both sort of kicked off preparation. CanCon 2019. Don't know if anyone saw the armies at CanCon 2018, but the best painted was hotly contested. People really went over and above. So Nick and I aren't necessarily at that standard yet, but we're both going to have a crack at getting painting noms. Um, so there's been a fair bit of backwards and forwards between the two of us about what we're going to do and how we're going to do that. But I've got a, a big secret project um, that that's in the throes that in, includes sort of commissioning a graphic designer, having bespoke dice, obvi- obviously. Um, obviously, so anywhere outs- that I can get a competitive advantage by spending more money than my competition. So, so I'm looking a, you're to trying to outsource that. all the work? No, not the, not the painting or modelling. I'll do all of that myself. But This is um, next level display board wanker. That's absolutely what this is. So been doing quite a bit of reading about colour theory, looking at contrast, looking at all those sorts of things where I can cheat to get a little Any, a little bit of an in there. Anything but paint. I'll be painting a lot. So I've, I've also done a, a game chart and sort of blocked it all out using really good project management software so i've got about 275 to 300 hours blocked out for the next six months and i'm keen to <laughs> like when i do something i like doing it well so I'm, I'm all in on this one you and brad should get together and consider actually painting something <laughs> I, I i had a look at the like color theory things as well and i was like i i picked like the first color that i was gonna do and then the th- like the three colors that it threw up at me to pair with it were fucking turquoise purple and yellow again <laughs> Stick with it if it ain't broke. I think that's us because I don't think Dave's doing any hobby. No, my hobby is I'm going to have a couple of games of AOS and see if I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to just assuming you're going to hate it, which is what we've been doing for three years. No, basically I'm going to rock the ogres out and take them on their face that the game is going to be fun and balanced with the army that you have. And if it's not, I'll not be on this podcast again. (laughs) Seems likely. All right, for those of you who are still listening, we'll probably let you go now because 
yeah, we're not going to continue wasting your time, let's be honest. Uh, thanks for listening if you're still here. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Don't fail. Your strength you test. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from the Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the court from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry Arm, women liberationists, and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell. Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or the rare earth, the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live.